take your Bible, if you would, please. Make your way to the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a book that is located in the New Testament. And uh, it's one of the Pauline epistles. Ephesians chapter number 2. Pastor, that's not the book of John. I understand we've been in the book of John for many weeks and we have many weeks to go in the gospel of John in our study there that we might have life. But I had told you that God had been working on me and speaking into my my spirit the fact that he was going to change the direction through the month of December and into the month of January. And uh, I know how the Lord speaks to me and and reveals that, you know, it's many times people look at preaching a message and they think they could never do that. I would submit to you that preaching is really easy. Um, that's the easy part of the job. You, you could preach. Pastor, I'm not called to preach. I couldn't preach. Sure you could. God give you a message in your heart. You could preach it. Even the women could preach it. They may not be able to pastor the church, but I find that women are usually better preachers than men. It's okay, ladies, if you say amen to that. Um, Studying is not hard. Studying is a joy. It's a delight. You read the passage, you pray, and you ask God and the Holy Spirit to help you with understanding. You, You read what other men have written on the subject, and you study the language, you study the wording, and you know the context and you know the background and you're able to do that. Knowing what to preach, extremely difficult. Well, pastor, you got a great big Bible up there, just preach anything. Yeah, that's a lot easier said than done. Knowing what to preach takes time with God, takes prayer, takes begging, takes pleading, takes asking. I find that one of the reasons that people don't read their Bibles consistently is because they don't know where to start. I could tell them it's a big Bible, just start anywhere. It's easy to do, right? Uh, but I know how God works in my, my heart and my mind when he begins to direct me accordingly. And God God put a theme on my heart for the next, I think, six Sundays. Takes us through December and will take us right up to revival. I've chosen a theme of joy to the, to the world. Um, it's a Christmas theme and it's a Christmas message. But I think the message of Christmas has the ability to not only prepare us for the Christmas season, but also to prepare us for the end of the year which to also prepare us for the beginning of 2021, which I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to a different year other than 2020, right? And then we'll prepare us up for revival. One of the ways that I know that God builds a theme in my heart or direction in my heart is because he'll give me something and I'll meditate it and pray about it and a phrase will jump off at me. And then he will just bring that phrase over and over and over again through different scriptures and different books in different ways. And so I had been dominated with a passage in the book of Philippians that talks about we as believers that shine as lights in this world. And, you know, the Christmas season and you see the lights and we all put up the lights and we all decorate it. But you're to be a Christmas light in your person. 
Your home should be a Christmas light. Your speech should be a Christmas light. Your tone should be a Christmas light. Your behavior should be a Christmas light. Our lives ought to reflect the light of Jesus that is in us to a lost and dying world. We could say amen about that, right? Um, And so as I was thinking about believers in the world, and I was thinking about the world in this moment, and just all that we've been through in 2020 and all that the world is searching for and the insecurity of the world right now and and the fear and the chaos and just kind of where everybody is, that phrase in the world kept building. And so I found scriptures that talk about we as believers in this world and our responsibility as to that. And I, as our passage today will reflect, um, the, the phrase will come out, and, they were, and we were without God in the world. In the book of Philippians, we will shine as lights in the world. Paul talked about this, the, this present evil world. Paul told Timothy that the Lord Jesus was believed on in the world. Paul told Timothy that we brought nothing into this world, and therefore we shall carry nothing out of this world. James taught us that we were to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. John, speaking to the believer, said that the world knoweth us not. That's interesting. He went on to say, Later in 1 John chapter 4, and for reminding us that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so I want to take that kind of that phrase, in the world or of the world, and preach a series of messages to you that I've put under the subject, joy to the world. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we will begin. Ephesians chapter 2 it's a very, very famous chapter in the Bible for three of the, of the great salvation verses are located in this book and in this chapter. When you open up your Bible, if you've been a believer for very long, probably you have in chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10 underlined or highlighted. You may even have them memorized as to growing up in church. They read... For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. These verses, of course, are just famous for teaching that salvation is by faith and faith alone. Um, Nobody will ever get to heaven apart from faith. No one will ever get to heaven by their own good works. Nobody's going to be able to get to heaven and look at God and say, that was stupid for you to do to Jesus what you did. You didn't need to do it. Pastor, that's, 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 kind, of a, that's kind of a phrase right there. Run that by me again? Yeah. Nobody's going to be able to get to heaven and look at God and say, I don't know what you were thinking. I don't know why you would let him become a man. I... I don't know why you'd let him beat the living daylights out of him. I don't know why you would kill him on the cross, let him die on the cross. You really didn't have to do all that for me. 
Pastor, I would never say that. Anybody who thinks they're going to get to heaven because of their good works has said exactly that to God. Amen? Right? So, Paul says, nobody's going to get to heaven and be able to boast and say, I didn't need him to die for me. I was a good boy. No, my friend. When you get in front of God, if you've not received the Lord Jesus, there will be a book open that will identify all of the sin that you have committed against the holiness of God. And in that moment, you will realize that you fell short in your own righteousness and you will wood to God, you let the blood of Jesus cleanse you from all your sin. Paul was reminding him of this. He says in verse number 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Very, very famous verses. What you may not know is that in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is dealing with a subject that I think finds its identity in the Christmas season as well. He's dealing with the subject of unity. Um, He's dealing with the subject of unity here between saved Gentiles and saved Jews. I, I don't know a, 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 a clearer time in our calendar where disunity is exposed like the Christmas season. Maybe you have disunity in your family, i.e. you don't invite Uncle So, Aunt, Aunt Sally, you don't, you don't go to these, these relatives' house. You, you just, there's just separation within the family and there's disunity there. And really and truthfully, at Christmas time, you, you actually feel in your spirit the pull toward unity, toward fellowship, toward oneness. I mean, everything is geared that way. But in your family, you just have people that they just are not invited and you just don't go there. Um, I think that is a reality for a lot of people. And Christmas time exposes that desperately. Paul is having to deal with unity inside the church. If it's hard to have unity apart from being saved, it's surprisingly hard to have unity even after you've been saved. I find saved people have a hard time finding unity with other saved people. And if you want to destroy a local church, if the devil wants to destroy a local church, one of the ways he does that is through disunity. So I think unity is a subject that ought to be focused on here at the Christmas time. And what I need to do is I need to preach through an introduction here for a few minutes that will bring me to my message. My message is very short. My introduction will take six weeks. Hopefully you've had a snack before you've come in here. Okay? Here's the problem. The church at Ephesus was made up of Gentile believers in Asia Minor. And they had Jewish people that were were saved, Jewish converts that were coming into the church as well. The problem was, prior to salvation, there had been 
such a maligning between the two. It's really exposed in verse number 11. If you would look, please. Uh, In verse number 11, Paul says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past, that would be prior to salvation, Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Now what you need to know is those two words, uncircumcision and circumcision, represent two people groups. Circumcision, of course, represents the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. That was the covenant sign that God gave the Jewish male in his flesh, right? Eight days after they were born, they were to be circumcised. We have that practice today as far as within um, the males that are born. You know that that was a special and unique sign. The Jews took that special and unique sign uh, seriously, and they added to that a strong sense of cleanliness, both spiritually and physically. So if the Jews wanted to derogatorily refer to something that would be wicked or something that would be dirty, they would refer to it as uncircumcised. They attributed that to a people group called the Gentiles. And so it was, it was understood by the Gentiles that the Jews thought this about them in a very negative and condescending way. However, as Gentile believers were, were, Gentiles were coming to belief in the Lord Jesus and Jews were coming to faith in the Lord Jesus, God was breaking down a wall of partition and creating with them one body called the church. You will see how aggressive this was prior to being saved if you look at verse number 15. Come on, you need all this because it's going to help you understand the world here. In verse number 15, he says, having abolished in his flesh the... What's that word, class? Enmity. There was an enemy-like approach between the Jew and the Gentile. A war-like separating approach. Prior to salvation, now it finds itself coming in inside the house of God. And the problem was that the Gentile believers were, were relating to the Jews in their flesh, in their old nature. By the way, let me just put a time out here. Understand, Christian people, that the spirit-filled life is not your default button. Your flesh and your sin nature is your default button. What does that mean? That means when you wake up in the morning, you don't wake up spiritually right. You don't wake up under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, per se. That's what you have to be filled with the Spirit of God. If I don't spend time in in dismissing my authority and submitting to the Holy Spirit of God's authority and to His leadership and His fullness in my life, then the natural default for Tom Hunter is to wake up and to live his life in a selfish way 
a fleshly way that does not serve others or serve the Lord. So I don't ever want that. I've been redeemed. So I want to put my old nature under the direction of the Spirit of God. If you have that desire, say amen. But that's not our natural default. That's why you have to spend time with God in the, before you start your day. So these Gentile believers have been saved and they've been brought into the church and they find in the church these people that have called them uncircumcised and dirty and derogatory and they were wanting to relate to them in a fleshly manner. Paul reminds them in verse number 13, but now in, say his name, Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath both, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, that be the law of Moses, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two twain one new man, so making, what's that word class? Peace. That he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. So Paul stops this Gentile mind and he says, Fellas, I understand you have a nature that wants to respond but you're different now than you were before meeting Christ now you're not in your own flesh in totality now you find in position you are in Christ and because you have been saved you're not the same person you used to be therefore you cannot relate in the same way so as you're making your way into the house of God, you, you have to understand that you have to operate now in Christ Jesus. As His Spirit is in you, as His nature is in you, you have to understand with His principle, His love, and His word. Now, fellas, understand this. Gentile, yes, you are a sinner. Jew, yes, you are a sinner. But understand that when Jesus died, he died for the Gentile sin, he died for the Jew sin. When Jesus saved the Gentile, they're no more saved than the Jew. The Jew is no more saved than the Gentile. And what Jesus did is he took you as a Jew in your heritage or your flesh, or a Gentile and a Jew in your heritage and flesh, and you still have that nationally, but spiritually now you become part of the body of Christ, you become one in the church, And there's no longer a wall of partition between us. There should be unity in the body of Christ. Okay, you understand that, right? Now, how he gets the Gentile to see this and melt this is just precious. You come back to verse number one, please. And you... Hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. If you understand that verse and it's true about you, would you say amen? Wherein time passed, speaking to these Gentiles who are saved now, 
You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our manner of life in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by Say that word, please. Nature, the children of wrath, even as others. All right? So Paul is preaching unity. He is reminding the Gentile believer that you cannot approach this relationship in your old flesh. You must approach this in Christ Jesus. And by the way, nobody suffered more in any area of our lives than Jesus Christ did. If anybody has a right to hold a grudge, it would be him. But thank God, God doesn't hold grudges. Right? So, so as you come back, now Paul says, now let me remind you, Mr. Gentile, so that you don't get all huffy and think that you're better than what you really are here. Let me remind you of God's love for you. Let me remind you of how wicked you were. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You, you had no hope. Uh, you were, had the nature of wrath. You were disobedient. You had sinned against God. There was all of this evidence there and you, you were lost. Look if you would at verse number four. The first two words are, but God. But God, you are all these things, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, ye are saved. All right, so he's laid a foundation. Come to verse number 11. Don't lose me. I got a great message here. I just got to get to it. Verse number 11. Wherefore, remember that I hear the Amber Alert, right? They had a kidnapping in Broward County. So if your phone goes off, that's just they're, they're, they're reaching out for help. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Now watch this. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and, read that last phrase without me, or with me, without God, in the world. Paul took that phrase without God in the world to stop a Gentile mindset of envy, jealousy, arrogance, retaliation, Stop from letting the flesh dominate them from unrighteous anger. And he turns to him and says, fellas, listen. I know this is an aggressiveness towards you. 
But let's go back and think about what God has done in your life. You're wanting to lunge at them. But there was a time when you were without God in this world. I hear myself say that phrase, without God in the world. And I think the world is tough enough. I sure don't want to be without God in this world, right? Without God in the world. I find that this understanding is needed for God's people today. Because the Gentile church, which is most of us in the United States of America, we get so aggravated about what goes on around us. We get so aggravated sometimes about what goes on. And if we're not careful, the longer that we are saved, the more highly we think of ourselves. And the more lowly we think of others. That was tremendous. Let me do it again. The longer we're saved, the more highly we think of ourselves. And the more lowly we think of others. And I'll show you the evidence of this in the, in the local New Testament church. The first thing that that does is that builds a frustration in us with people to the point that we don't care if they get saved or not. We don't, we don't even think that they're worthy of hearing the gospel. We just think that they need to be fired. They need to be demoted. We need to be separated from them. They get what they deserve. Let's just be frank. Okay, I hope there's no frank here. You're filthy because A, B, C, or D. You deserve what you get and you're a stinking heathen. That mentality can, can approach and enter in the mindset of even God's people. My daughter Casey, she's here. She doesn't know she's part of the message today. She came home yesterday. She's got a job at Home Depot, right? And she worked yesterday from 12 to 9. And she said, Dad, it was just a horrifically busy day yesterday. She works at the customer service desk, and part of the customer service desk is people bringing back their returns. And she came home at lunchtime, and she said, Dad, people are liars, thieves, and cheats. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, Dad, this guy brings me this light bulb package that he took four bulbs and put in there and said he bought them two months ago, and they don't work. She said the bulbs weren't even the same. Those bulbs were two years later, or at least two years old. And all he's trying to do is to get money and to cheat us. And she said, I want to just look at him and say, you're a liar, a cheat, and a thief, but I'll get fired. So I didn't do that, right? She said, and then she had another incident. She had another incident. She got overwhelmed. And she said, I literally just laid on the desk, and I looked out over Home Depot and over the sea of people. She said, I included myself here. She thinks. God must have been amazing 
to be willing to die for people. She says, I look at people and I think, wow, God, why would you give your life for ungrateful, unthankful, unholy, wicked, lying, cheating, thieving, fleshly, lusting people? By the way, that's me. I don't know why he would do it, but I'm so glad he did it, aren't you? So it's Christmas time. Without God in the world is most of the people that we relate to. These are the people you work with, the people you live with. They don't have God in their world. To be without God in the world doesn't mean that God hasn't somehow blessed those people. It doesn't mean that they somehow haven't been encouraged by God or, or even that God's done a miracle in their life. But it does, the verse gives us a definition of what it means to be without God in the world. And I, and I want you to see it so you can relate with people this season, but you can also be thankful in your own heart and in your own mind. Go, if you would, at verse number 12, and let me give these three very quickly. He's reminding the Gentile church that at that time, those words at that time refers to your pre-Christian life. You were without Christ. Underline that. Put a number one by that. To be without Christ is to be without God. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Pastor, I didn't know alien was in the Bible. Yes, it is. We still refer to illegal immigrants or immigrants as aliens. You can have an alienship in our nation that comes from the word of God. That's number two. Strangers from the covenants of promise having, number three, no hope. To be without God in the world is to be without Christ. To be without Christ is to be, number one, without spiritual life. Write this down. People can enjoy their physical life, they can enjoy their financial life, they can enjoy their, their recreational life, they can enjoy their familial life, they can enjoy a lot of this life. Even unbelievers can enjoy life. Solomon talks about that. But my friend, there is a part of life that is a necessity and that is your spiritual life. And Paul goes back to kind of to remind the, the Gentile believers so that they're not so aggressive against the Jews Wait a minute, there was a time when you were without God in the world. And to be without God in the world was you were without Christ. You were without true salvation. You were without a relationship with Him. You may love God. Listen very carefully to me, especially if you're watching online. You may love God. You may reverence God. You may worship God. You may pray to God. You, you may trust God. You may give to God. But if you don't have Jesus, you're without God. Without Christ as my personal Lord and Savior that I put my faith and trust in, I'm without God. Which means I'm without spiritual life. 
I was that way one time until somebody introduced me to the Lord Jesus. Much of our world today is without true spiritual life. And God's people needs to see that. Aliens, common from the commonwealth of Israel. The commonwealth of Israel, it really recalls an ancient Greek city-state type approach where a city or country provided numerous valuable advantages and benefits and privileges for its citizens but withheld them from foreigners, right? We understand this. In our nation, you can have a great debate about this. You have immigrants that come in and you have this understanding that there are rights for the citizenship and illegals shouldn't be able to get those rights. We're citizens and you're foreigners and so there's this divide and some things you can have here and and you can talk about that all day long. But this is a practice that goes back in city-states a long time. And Paul looks at the church there, these Gentile believers, and says, understand this. Salvation first came to the Jew, and they had all of the all of the privileges and all of that, and you were without. You were considered a foreigner, and it wasn't until God did this work of salvation in you that brought you into that commonwealth and brought you into the church wherein he put you into spiritual blessing. To be without God in the world is to be without Christ, number one, which is the absence of spiritual life. To be without God in the world and without Christ means that I'm an alien from the spiritual blessing of God. Why is spiritual blessing so important? Spiritual blessing is so important in our lives because it brings about a rest. It brings about a calmness. It brings about an understanding. Most of the world that does not know God is absent of spiritual Blessing. If you believe God blesses you spiritually, would you say amen? Amen. Lastly, having no hope. Hope is assurance. A person stripped of hope is a person stripped of life. Without hope speaks of without spiritual hope. What is a spiritual hope? A spiritual hope is a steadfast assurance in the word of God. Here's what a spiritual hope says. A spiritual hope says that faith will build in my heart. That faith has overcome the world. That faith is the way forward. Spiritual hope teaches me that God loves me. God cares for me. That no one will ever separate me from his love. To have a spiritual hope means that I believe that God hears and answers prayer. To have a spiritual hope means that I believe that God's grace is sufficient. That his strength is made perfect in my weakness. A spiritual hope means I can say things like, it's going to be okay. A spiritual hope understands that God said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. A spiritual hope makes me able to believe that everything's going to work out for my good. A spiritual hope enables me to rest. It enables me to have peace of mind, peace of heart. A spiritual hope enables me to be submissive, tender, understanding, grateful. Paul's trying to teach these Gentile believers what God had done in their life when they were without God in the world. They were damned, but God in his mercy reached them. They were without Christ, without spiritual life. 
They were aliens without spiritual blessing. And they were without hope, spiritual hope. All of these things God did for them out of his grace and out of his mercy. And and Paul says, now listen, fellas. See the world that way. So I'm telling you, church, see the world that way. The longer we get saved, the more highly we think of ourselves and the more lowly we think of people. But you have to go back and you have to see the world the way that God saw you before Christ. Before Christ, you had no spiritual life no spiritual blessing, and no spiritual hope. You were without God in the world. That explains why our activity was so filthy, why our lust was so sensual, while our thievery knew no stretch, while our tongues would curse, while our arrogance would butch up, and while our pride would be strong, because we didn't have God. And some Christian could have looked at me and said, You're going to get what you deserve. We all deserve hell. But for God's great mercy. This Christmas season. Joy to the world. See the world without God. And let God use you. To present to them Jesus Christ. Shall we pray. Heavenly Father God, what a statement. You are without God in the world. Evidenced by they were without Christ, they hadn't been saved. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, which means that the blessing wasn't for the foreigner. And they were without hope. A spiritual hope. But God, who is rich in mercy and his great love wherewith he loved us, sent his son. Lord, the world needs Jesus. And the world needs the church to tell them about Jesus. Don't let us get so frustrated with the peoples of the world without God that we're not used by God to reach the peoples of the world. Let us think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Let us ever stay close to the gospel and the salvation of the Lord. Help us to know unity in this vision. A unified church moving forward for the gospel is a powerful force. With heads bowed and eyes closed, couple of thoughts Christian I hope you view people like Casey said Jesus died for them don't, don't let a mistreatment develop in your heart and your mind remember who God is and what he did in your life when you were without God well, Pastor, they behaved so foolishly. So did we. Oh, no, Pastor, I would never have done that. Oh, no, no. If we go back, we all behave foolishly. But God loved us. 
God loves them. And God's got them in your world. They're without Christ. They're without hope. They're without blessing. I wonder today, do you have Christ in your heart? You might be religious. You might have an affinity toward God. But have you come to Jesus by faith, opening your heart, asking Him to save you? If not, love to take a Bible today and show you how. I'm begging you, Christian people, see the world as needing a Savior. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, have your way in our invitation now, just a few moments to let you finish this in our hearts. Speak to us as individuals, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our altar is open if you want to come for prayer. If you want to come today to receive the Lord, we'd love to take a Bible, show you how to be saved. Make your way, if you would. We'll greet you in the front. for listening today we have coming forward just a marvelous answer to prayer and um, Jody is with us and she's with Roxana today you know Roxana's husband Scott went home to be with the Lord and prior to going home to be at the Lord him and Roxy had met Jody and had witnessed Christ to her and she's a a Jewish lady and they had brought her to church and um, she sent an email or a note out saying she wanted a way to express that she has believed in the Lord Jesus. So I met with her this week and with Roxanne and back there in the office. And Jody prayed and received the Lord Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior. And she's trusted Christ. And I said, Jody, would you come forward? And just walking forward and sitting there, let me tell the church, um, will be a great blessing to us. If you rejoice with her, say amen. amen. That's precious, man. Scott, Scott didn't get to see it physically. But he's seeing it now. And when you show up in heaven one day, he's going to be rewarded for that as well, Roxanne. That's just great. People need the Lord, don't they? All right, if you're coming tonight, park on the grass. Get your ticket if you want to come. Sign up to help us with the lights if you can. If If you have a high risk or physical problem, you're not able to do that. But if not, sign up. Pray for us. God bless you. We'll see you back Wednesday night and next Sunday. Our song to go home is simple. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is 
my strength, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. God bless you while you are dismissed.